This is Bucks First Thoughts, the news you need to get through your day in 45 minutes. Make sure you subscribe on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Is Nancy Pelosi really going to do this? Is she actually going to act like the border crisis is Donald Trump's fault? She, she thinks that that's going to work. Maybe it will at least work well enough. Half the country knows that, well, she's Nancy Pelosi and she lies all the time. But the other half of the country has got to figure out at some point that the enormous surge at the border is coming at a time when you can draw a straight line to connect it between uh, to connect the Biden administration with what's going on down there. And now the numbers are becoming the problem right now. We're seeing the data is irrefutable, and that's the big challenge that they have. That's the, the issue that they have to deal with here. And the Democrats are in a little bit of a panic. They like this long term. They don't want the short term ramifications. They don't want to have to deal with what it means for the American people to see that the border is effectively open already, that the border is out of control, which is what's happening right now. And when you understand that this is because of Democrats, you can see how that may be a problem for them in the midterms, assuming they can't get amnesty done by them, which they may very well do. But I also want you to be paying really close attention these days to what's going on with censorship online. This is a huge story, as you know, keeps going. And what happens is this, and this has happened to me, you know, social media allows you to speak online and to share your thoughts. But there are all these groups now that find people like me and they target you for wrong think. And I'm serious. Once you get on their radar, they decide these different fact checkers and censors that they need to make an example of you. And they do this to everyday folks, too. I mean, they'll actually kick you off of these platforms. You don't have to be a blue check. You don't have to be somebody who's known. And do you really trust that these companies these social media giants, once they revoke your right to be on their platform, that they stop there. You, th you think that there won't be further ramifications down the line? You know, China's got a social credit system. How far away do you think we are from something like that? That's why I want you to try to protect yourself. That's what I do with ExpressVPN. If you ever wonder about this, you got to know ExpressVPN is the one place you can go. It's the one tool you can use to anonymize so much of your online presence by hiding your IP address. I mean, this is a critical tool because otherwise everything you do is being tracked, can be sold. It's bad news. ExpressVPN couldn't be easier to set up. You just tap one button on your phone or computer and you're protected. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data to protect you from hackers and Internet bad guys. It's finally time to say no to censorship and take back your online privacy. Go to expressvpn.com slash buck. By visiting my special link, you'll get extra, that's right, an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. Go to expressvpn.com slash buck. Protect your online activities and presence today. Expressvpn.com slash buck. How do they stop the border crisis? You start, start with that question. What would it require for this to end? How would they make this go away? Now, that's a question that is going to be tough to answer because it's not even clear that Democrats even believe that this is a border crisis. It's not clear that Democrats are willing to say it, at least. Right. So how can you get to the fixing of the problem when you will not be honest about fixing the problem that you're not sure even exists? Right. If you say, well, it's no big deal. We're handling it. Then you know that 
you can probably get away with the resources you've got in place. Right. But they say it's not a crisis. And yet they're calling for additional volunteers. They're sending down FEMA. They're doing all of these things that indicate the situation is out of control. That indicates that uh, this is beyond what they even anticipated. And it couldn't be any more clear, quite honestly, why this is happening. We all understand what's going on here. You have a Democrat in office, Joe Biden, who is controlled by the left wing handlers around him. And for illegal immigrants, this is the best time to come to America in the last 20 years. This is it right now. You have a an overwhelmed system. You have a, a party in power at the federal government level that has no interest in stopping or deporting you, wants to find whatever reason it can to let you stay in the country. And from there, you know, the, the, the numbers just keep going up and up and up. So I understand why illegal immigrants are coming. But it's it's amazing to watch the Democrats pretend like this is not obvious that we can't figure out what's going on here. Here is uh, Pelosi. First of all, doing the usual. What have I been saying all along? When the economy starts to go south, which I unfortunately believe will happen toward the end of this year, even though it should be taking off like a rocket ship. But you have trillions of dollars of spending going to, in many cases, you know, bureaucracies, nonproductive uses of capital, Democrat uh, state and, and city budgets getting a whole bunch of taxpayer dollars. That's not going to that's not going to juice the economy. That's not going to make the private sector hum. But by the time that happens, you know what they'll be saying whenever it occurs. They'll say it's the Trump economy, which I, I can tell you this right now. At some point, I'll be playing this clip for you and you'll be saying, oh, wow, Buck called it because that that's the assuming the economy goes badly. The pitch will be, oh, we had covid and the Trump economy. And so it's not our fault. Same thing that you're hearing already with immigration, that the system, they always say this, the system is broken. This is the the fundamental talking point whenever there's a real crisis at the border. Here's what Pelosi, who was talking about this over the weekend, says. Play four. Actually, the facts are these. There are more children, uh, about six, seven hundred more children, unaccompanied children coming o- over the border. Uh, the, uh, this is a humanitarian challenge to all of us. Uh, what the administration has inherited is a broken system at the border, and they are working to correct that in the children's interest. I'm so pleased that the president, as a temporary measure, has sent FEMA to the border in order to help facilitate the children going from one 72-hour issue into where they are cared for as they are transferred into family homes or homes that are safe for them to be. Uh, So this, again, is a broken system. Hmm. And it's all it's all fine. Pelosi's telling you that they're doing a great job with it. Meanwhile, when you look at the actual numbers, it turns out that you have over 4,000, over 4,000 migrants, uh, migrant children in custody. That's a pretty stunning figure, isn't it? I mean, that that gives you a sense. You've got hundreds and hundreds a day who are showing up. And remember, they're, they're being sent by their adults, parents or guardians to go to the border knowing what's actually happening here, knowing that there are risks involved in all of this. They're moving through cartel controlled territory. And 
it's hard for us to really think about this in, in, in a way that if you, if you haven't studied the cartels, you can't understand. They run the police force, too, right? They're, they're more powerful than any local government authority along the border. So when you say that the cartel controls the area, it means that on the Mexican side of the border, there's really nobody who's going to challenge that authority or control. So that's how they can have wristbands being put on people to show that they've paid off the cartels. This is all out in the open. No one's going to stop them on that side of the border. Not really. And so you have parents who are sending children into that system, uh, exposing them to all kinds of terrible risks. And I understand that these are these are adults who are desperate and want better lives for their children. But it's a very risky system. And we don't want to encourage this. We don't want to encourage people to break the rules in these ways. But that's exactly what Democrats are doing. So when Pelosi says the immigration system is broken, that's not true. Democrats changed the enforcement priorities. They have the the benefit of seeing what Trump was doing when this this happened the first time around. Remember, there was a surge of migrants under the Trump administration and it took time to get it under control. But they figured out the remain in Mexico program and and really enforcing the asylum rules much more strictly, being much more uh, willing to turn people away at the border who are clearly coached and shouldn't pass a credible fear test, essentially tightening the regulations that are in place. And then with, with Remain in Mexico, that eliminated the whole incentive for adults, because if you show up at the border and, and you say, I want asylum in your country and American Border Patrol and, and well, it's really Immigrations and Customs Enforcement says, OK, you get to wait on the Mexican side of the border. We'll bring you in for your hearing date. And if on that hearing date you don't qualify for asylum, we're going to deport you. That's a far less appealing proposition than you show up, you flag down Border Patrol, you say, I want asylum. Now bring me a sandwich and I want my you know, NGO appointed lawyer and let me let me free in the United States. And I promise one day I'll show up at a court hearing that might happen in two years. Does anybody really think that's crossing the border right now that they're, they're going to have to show up at that hearing? No, in fact, the bet now, the safe bet is that there will probably be amnesty before they'd even have to show up for their asylum hearing. So when you understand the incentives, when you understand the instruct uh, the the incentives and and the structure here, you can see very clearly why we have the numbers at the border that we do. You you can understand right away how we got to this point, and that's why Pelosi is, is just lying about this stuff. I mean, it's just it's absurd. It's not that the immigration system is broken. It's that Democrats won't use the system we have and keep on interfering with it. I mean, what possible justification was there for getting rid of the remain in Mexico program for those seeking asylum? OK, what what possible justification you want to make it easy for people to come here illegally? You want your left wing open borders base to feel like you got a win for them. And to give you a sense of how desperate they're getting now and how much they're willing to just say whatever they think is going to work here, they'll say whatever they have to in order to take the attention away from the failures of the Biden administration and all this. They've come up with some really creative reasons for why it's all happening right now. Why are all these people crossing illegally in the United States? Record numbers. Here's uh, Pelosi. Play five. 
We have to also look to Central America and Mexico and the rest. The corruption, the violence, uh, all of that so bad. My most recent trip to the Northern Triangle, that would be Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador, you saw the impact of the climate change, mind you. These people were leaving because of the drought. They couldn't farm, and they were seeking other ways to survive. So there are many reasons that go into this, but the fact is we have to deal with it uh, at the border. And many of the people, some of the people coming there are seeking asylum. And uh, I always like to quote our friends in the evangelical movement. At one of our rump hearings we had before we had the majority, uh, uh, the representative said to us, the United States refugee resettlement program is the crown jewel of American humanitarianism. These are not refugees. This is the fundamental problem with the way the Democrats talk about it. I want to be in America. There's a better economy and better state benefits than there than there are in, you know, a a whole lot of countries all over the world. But notably, in this case, El Salvador, Honduras and Guatemala, that is not a refugee issue. That is an immigration issue. And I don't again, I don't blame people. I I have no I have no animus. I, I, I nothing. I don't feel like these are these are bad people or anything like that at all. I understand they want a better shot, but we've got to preserve this thing called America. And part of that is the rule of law and sovereignty and our legal immigration system. That's really the the big difference here. We're already taking in a million people a year through the legal immigration system. A million. That is a a large city's worth of people who are newly welcomed to the American family through our legal process every year permanently. But now we're going to add to this. I mean, what's the point of that legal system if you're going to show up at the border? And then, of course, climate change. Oh, yes. Climate change is causing this. Notice how Democrats, it's like mad libs with them, right? There's there's some empty spaces and you just know they're going to fill in a few different words. You know, climate change, equity, social justice. Trump is Hitler. You know, they'll just put all this stuff in there. It's the same same nonsense from them all the time. I mean, It's not climate change that's making immigrants come to the border, illegal immigrants crossing the border in in record numbers right now. Because remember, this isn't even the time of year with the highest uh, the highest level of crossing. Usually that comes in in a couple of months. It's not climate change. It's that Joe Biden and the open borders Democrats are in charge. And everybody who's being honest knows that the word is out. Now is the time. Democrats are going for amnesty And so as far as they're concerned, the more the merrier, but they have to play this double game. They want more illegal immigrants to come to the country and and they want to tell the American people, oh, no, don't worry. We're handling this issue in a humanitarian way. What does handling it mean? Does that just mean they're letting everybody in? Because that's actually not what a majority of the American people want. By handling it, they just mean we're processing as quickly and as comfortably uh, for these illegal immigrants as possible. That's not what the, that's not what the American people are most concerned about right now. You know, when you think about pre- sadly having to prepare for this again, right? And I know there's a lot of folks who who think that, you know, due to climate change and due to the globalization in general, it's inevitable we're going to deal with more and more viruses like this. Um, the biggest lesson you're, you're going to take away to prepare for the next one. You know, there are a couple of lessons, Chuck. There are, there are lessons domestically. There are lessons public health-wise, scientifically. Let's take global to begin with. 
we have to have a better global health security network of interconnectivity of communication of transparency so that we are talking to each other all the time and know what's going on we also have to have a continued investment in the science if you want to look Chuck at one of that the success story in this terrible year mm -hmm. has been the extraordinary unprecedented advance with the vaccine where you know uh, in January of 2020 we started the process and 11 months later we had a highly efficacious vaccine yeah. going into the arms of individuals which is going to be the answer to this together with public health measures with the public health measures yeah right it's the measures that we've been enforcing we've been harassing you about forever the measures keep coming sure notice that chuck todd says because of climate change there'll be more viruses because of climate change there'll be i mean these people are it, it, it is a cult i mean it, it's a religious belief there's going to be more viruses out there that are spreading because of climate change really because of a, a one or two degree rise in Celsius over the next 50 years, that's the cause of the pandemics. I mean, that's a pretty remarkable claim to make. But the way this works is you can blame anything on climate change as long as it's a bad thing and everyone agrees it's a bad thing. It's like you're adding to the bank of the badness of climate change. So people will nod their heads. People will bleat like sheep. Yes, they're, they're fine with it. Yeah, you know, well, man, why why the stock market turn on me today must be climate change, man. Oh, gosh, you know, why? Why do we have all these uh, in inequities in American society? Climate change. You can blame anything on climate change. And, and the the liberal orthodoxy will sign off on it. That, that's just the way it is, because it's a, it's a way of brainwashing everybody to think, oh, my gosh, climate change does all these terrible things. We have to take it so seriously and you say, well, hold on. Does it really do any of those things? How dare you look at all the things it does? Not even allowed to have a discussion about it. Not allowed to get into it at all. But I, I want to say, you know, they're they're overwhelmed at the border. And what you're finding out uh, while they're saying that climate change is causing that, what you're also finding out is that, you know, kids are in bad kids are in bad uh, circumstances right now. You know, kids are not doing well at our southern border. There are thousands of them in custody and they're being held in adult detention facilities in some cases and what look like jails. Now, I, I bring this up because I remember I remember when during the Trump administration, it was the kids in cages line that they would yell. And it was all about how much more moral Democrats were than Republicans. That was all a fraud. Right. We get that now. That's that's a fraud. They can say, oh, it was so it was mean and it was immoral when it was Trump doing it. Now it's just the logistics. It was the logistics then, too, friends. They didn't have facilities set up for children at the border because we had never faced that before. And the fact that they were separating adults from children is because when you arrest and process somebody, that's what you do. So they weren't ready for it because it hadn't happened before. We've already gone through all of this. And what Democrats are doing is unlearning those lessons. And this is why uh, Ron Klain is out there saying, oh, we're working so hard, uh, so hard to to make sure that all the children are are getting housed properly. Play 11. 
so we're, we're working very, very hard on this problem. We inherited a real lack of capacity. Uh, it's hard to ramp up that capacity. You can't just take children and put them in a hotel room. They need to be in a place where they are uh, safely protected. They need them in a place with staff. The staff needs to be trained. The staff needs to be licensed. You know, these are very uh, you know challenging needs that we are rapidly moving to accelerate. But there's no question at this point in time, Understood. we have too many children in these border patrol stations. Yeah, too many children. Kids in cages all over again. That's where we are. Now, the media won't talk about it that way because they don't want to hurt their their buddy, Joe Biden, who still no press conference. What are we now? We're going to get to 50 days in no press conference. Uh, At this point in the various presidencies that you had, Trump had given like four or five press conferences. Obama had given two, I think, uh, George W. Clinton gave five. George W. Bush gave uh, a couple. I mean, you know, everyone does a press conference. The new president trying to set the agenda, trying to show people who's really in charge. Hiding Biden still declining. We can't or reclining, perhaps he's just hanging out. He can't actually appear before the American people and subject himself to real Q&A. And we all know the media will be, for the most part, very gentle with him. Why can't he give a press conference? He's really so busy that he can't address the American people from the White House. That's what we're supposed to believe. So busy doing what exactly? Destroying the border? Making sure that the rule of law is becoming a joke at the U.S.-Mexico border? Because if that's his plan, he is doing a great job. Cuomo's not going unless Democrats pry his fingers from the governor's desk. It's up on BuckSexton.com right now. Editorial I've written on this thing. I mean, this is a remarkable political story. And it's one that should get uh, your, your attention because of so much of what it brings to bear. The media being a bunch of dishonest hacks. The Democrat Party having no moral authority really whatsoever, but then pretending that it does. And ultimately, the, the disaster of uh, the, the disaster of the nursing home situation and just the Democrat lockdown policy in general, which I'm going to be trashing a whole lot more today. But like I said, at BuckSexton.com, you can check out the actual editorial because uh, here's what we know has gone gone on. I mean, you've never had a faster descent for a celebrated politician. I don't think I, I don't know of anybody who's gone from hero to zero in politics as quickly as this guy. The only person that I could think of, Maybe was John Edwards for a period of time there, but Republicans never liked John Edwards. And he was always a slimy. Remember him, the ambulance chaser who was going to be the Democrat presidential candidate. You remember that guy? And then, you know, with the with the lady who like sold, you know, wind chimes and and dream catchers or whatever in the store, uh, he had an affair with her and then he said that he never cheated on his wife while she had cancer. He only cheated on his wife while she was in remission from the cancer and, and she ended up dying from it. Uh, that guy that Democrats, you know, because Democrats are so moral and ethical and good. And, you know, they hate Trump because he's a, not an ethical person. But anyway, I, I've never seen somebody really fall the way that Cuomo has, certainly not as quickly as he has. And uh, there is a growing chorus here of people that want that want him gone. We've gone from the love gov and Cuomo sexual as terms being used to describe this guy. And they were even talking about him running in 2020. You remember that? Now he's under siege on all sides and the forces that are demanding his ouster are closing in. I mean, this is an astonishing turnabout for a guy who 
Not long ago, you remember this, he was doing victory laps on his brother's CNN show, making jokes about who their mom liked more and and oversized Q-tips and the whole thing. But who is calling for him to be gone now? A lot of Democrats are finally saying he should go. Perhaps the the uh, the, the best one because these two guys, you know, you know when two people you really don't like go after each other in an argument. I'm sure you've ever you've been in an office setting or maybe back in school where two people you really don't like just lay into each other, you know, verbally it can be. It doesn't have to be like a fist fight. But they're just, you know, in each other's faces. I mean, it's kind of like what Kissinger said about the Iran-Iraq war where he hoped they could both lose. You know, you're you're watching this and you're just going, I don't know who's going to win, but this is going to be entertaining. And that's how I feel about watching this particular politician, Mayor Bill de Blasio, formerly known as Warren Wilhelm. Yeah, from Germany, Warren Wilhelm. That was his name, in case you didn't know that. Changed his name at, like, age 20-something. To, I mean, it wasn't a little name change, right? You could say, oh, Buck, your name is James Buckman Sexton, which is actually true. Yeah, but Buck is the name I've been called since I was a baby. It's part of my middle name. It's That's always been... But, uh, you know, he changed his whole name, which you're allowed to do. I just like to point out Warren Wilhelm. That's a pretty intense one. Here he is saying that Cuomo must resign. Play 12. He should resign right now because he's holding up our effort to fight COVID. He's literally in the way of us saving lives right now. Do you believe that he and his administration deliberately tried to cover up the scale of nursing home deaths? I don't have a doubt in my mind. Uh, Everything was about his public image. Everything was about his political future. It was not about what people needed. And by the way, it was about campaign contributions. The nursing home industry, the, the big hospital systems, they gave him millions and millions of dollars. And he went easy on them. And he tried to cover up for everyone, not just him, but his donors. And, and I think the investigations are going to prove this, Margaret. This was a thoroughly corrupt situation. And he just needs to resign so we can actually turn the page. Mm-hmm. And, and look, it's an optimistic time as you started out this morning. It's an optimistic time. We got to put the past behind us. Well, and Andrew Cuomo can't lead us into the future. Well, we've we've got the people of the state ready to reopen, but we need to get him out of the way to do it. Bill de Blasio is in a pickup truck with oversized wheels in Cuomo's front yard doing donuts right in the middle of his prized petunias. Never seen anything like this before. I mean, this is just he is going for it. He's not just saying and, and I, I give Cuomo, I mean, uh, uh, de Blasio credit here. There's such a focus on the sexual harassment stuff when, look, uh, the sexual harassment stuff is bad. Cuomo's creepy. He was obviously trying to use his power and position to pressure some women maybe a little bit here or there. You know, it depends on the, the specific case we're talking about. And maybe he was a little grabby sometimes. But, uh, you know, if, if, if you know, sexual harassment goes from you know, you know, hey, you look, you know, you're looking sexy in that dress at a one to, you know, 10 is like holding a woman down or drugging her and then and then sexually assaulting her. Right. You know what? What Cuomo did is like, uh, you know, so far from what I've read, I could be missing one or two is, I don't know, a two or three on the scale. I mean, it's not he's not Bill Cosby, folks. He's not he's not Weinstein. You know, he's not Harvey Weinstein. He's not these guys. That, that did really, I mean, criminal, vile stuff and got away with it for such a long time. 
you know, he's a he's a he's a dude who shouldn't be running the government and for the state of New York. That's true. But the much bigger scandal here, the much bigger scandal is the nursing home situation. And what's fascinating to me is that the Democrat media and the Democrat Party are so focused on the sexual harassment thing because they think if they force him out over that. And, you know, there's a few different layers, a few different levels here. If they force him out over the actual um, over the sexual harassment stuff, then they get a win. They get a moral win in their eyes. Oh, see, we pushed out like they did to Al Franken, who you know, that was a pretty I'm not some Al Franken fan, but that was a rough, you know, that guy got. Got fed to the wolves. He said, what exactly? He wasn't even he wasn't a senator at the time. What was the he tried to he tried to kiss a few different women beforehand, I think was the was the main, you know, tried to sort of forcibly kiss a few women um, before he was a senator. And that's what the allegation was. And then he he, he resigned or, you know, Kristen Gillibrand pushed him out. I think he always I can't remember now, but I think he said that that wasn't true, but it didn't matter. Right? It was he was pushed out anyway. But. The nursing home thing is so much worse. This guy did an unthinkably stupid, reckless, dangerous thing and then lied about it to the degree where he acted like he was a hero for doing it. He was a hero for his covert leadership. Got a a seven million dollar. I'm sorry, a seven figure, not seven million dollars, a seven figure advance for his book on leadership. Got an Emmy. And he is the worst COVID response governor in America. Gavin Newsom is maybe in second place, pretty close. But Cuomo's the worst governor in America for COVID response. And yet the Democrat media elevated him to be a hero. It wasn't even like he was in the middle of the pack or no, he was the exemplar. And you know who else held him up? That little fascist Fauci. He held him up, too. He said, you know, New York did it the right way. Um, no, not true, actually. Not even a little bit true. The opposite of the truth. Fauci's a little a little fraud. And, you know, I've been on to him for the I've been on to him for a year now. I mean, I've known this guy was bad news. I could tell the way that he was always positioning himself. You know, the fact all you really have to know about Fauci and I'm putting aside the times he was wrong and all the fear mongering and the contradictory nonsense he said. All you really have to know about Fauci is that somehow this guy has been the point man for pandemic response for the nation. And the Democrat left hasn't attacked him once. How is that possible? How, how is it feasible that given all the mistakes, all the disaster, all the catastrophe, they haven't turned on Fauci. The left hasn't gone after him one time. It's because he's their man and they know it. He's their guy. I've seen it the whole time. He's the reason Donald Trump didn't win re-election. Don't you see it? But that same individual was propping up Cuomo as a hero of the pandemic. Add that to the list of reasons Fauci is the worst. Why is the United States military, from official accounts, from very senior level folks, 
attacking a cable news commentator, in this case, Tucker Carlson. What the heck is going on here? Can you imagine for a moment that this had happened a few months back and people were trashing uh, in the military, were trashing Rachel Maddow or Anderson Cooper or, you know, Chris Cuomo, whomever. Under the Trump administration, it would have been considered a, a huge leap toward fascism. But it's happening now in the Biden administration. And we're told, oh, don't worry about it. Uh, not so fast. My buddy Sean Parnell is with us to talk a bit about this. He's a former Army Ranger, saw intense combat in Afghanistan, wrote about it in his book, Outlaw Platoon. But you should get his latest book, which is a thriller, One True Patriot, available on Amazon or wherever you get your book. Sean, my man, good to talk to you. Hey, Buck, thanks for having me. How you doing? I'm good, man. So, so it's interesting. All of a sudden, when Tucker Carlson speaks out against female preg- uh, pregnant flight suits or pregnancy flight suits, which is really what the issue was. That's what he was saying. You have all of a sudden official accounts from like Marine Expeditionary Forces. You've got uh, very senior members of of the Marine Corps and other places in the United States military bureaucracy who are putting out public videos from their official accounts in uniform attacking Tucker Carlson. What, What is this? Have you ever seen anything like this before? I I haven't. I, I really, truly haven't. In fact, they train you uh, to not make public statements while in uniform from official accounts. It's it's unprecedented, uh, this type of behavior. And it really should concern every American, regardless of their political party. And, and to circle back to, to what Tucker said, yeah, it was about flight suits. I think what got many of these folks up in arms was that he said pregnant women shouldn't shouldn't be fighting our wars. Right. And 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 here's here's the thing, Buck, two things can be true at the same time. You know, we value women in the military. They make us stronger. They're a force multiplier. But we can also recognize that pregnant women, women should not be in combat. It's actually and, and what what blows my mind here, Buck, is that. It's against DOD policy for pregnant women to serve in combat anyway. So we're making a big deal about this. And somehow, you know, what, what these senior military leaders are doing, right? It, it, they're, they're twisting Tucker's words, which in essence means they're pushing a propaganda operation onto the American people by making it about women in the military, right? Women in the military make us stronger. Diversity makes us stronger. Uh, okay. But that's that's not what Tucker said. He simply made a point about pregnant women serving in combat. And that is against DOD policy. Never mind the fact that that I think these military leaders, the generals and the sergeants major are incorrect about diversity being, you know, the military's greatest strength. Of course, we are all stronger with a multitude of different opinions and backgrounds, of course. But it's the unity looking past that diversity that makes us an elite fighting force. You know, I had the most diverse group of soldiers that you could possibly imagine. Black serving next to white, Christian, Muslim, atheist, you know, liberals, conservatives, all in the same foxhole. But if we focus on those differences every day in combat, we would all be dead. We would have never united. What makes our military exceptional is we can unite beyond those many differences under a common banner as Americans. It's not so it's 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 not correct to simply just say yeah, we're diverse, and that diversity makes us stronger. Yeah, it's part of it, but it's the unity that makes us stronger. And I guess what really upsets me 
is that conservatives, Buck, primarily conservatives, but probably some independents too, feel betrayed, I think, in many ways by many of the institutions in this country, whether it's the, the media or the DOJ or the FBI or the Supreme Court in the wake of the 2020 elections. The military was one of the few institutions left in this country that Americans, regardless of their political views, trusts and holds in high esteem, and these senior leaders are destroying that. Woke wokeness and woke dot mill we all got military email address and it's all like a dot mill but woke dot mill is destroying how, how bad is it i mean sean you you served and you also have a lot of friends who served along with you but i'm sure you know people that are still in and yeah. and what i keep hearing is that it's it reminds me a little bit of, of what i say when i talk to like uh, college age kids who are conservatives who reach out to me all the time from across the country and i say look it was College campuses were left wing when I was there. Right. There was crazy. So we had a there was a flag burning on my campus right after 9-11 because of the the genocide of Native Americans. And what those things have to do with each other, by the way, is, you know, this is like lunatics. But the point is, it was left wing. It was crazy. But now it's gotten even worse. I mean, now you have conservative speakers that go to campus that are physically attacked by mobs and. The, you know, the campus says, well, you know, that's their speech equals violence. Anyway, I'm bringing this up because from what I remember, and I spent a fair amount of time around the military as a as a CIA civilian uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so I was on military bases for months and months at a time. And it was there was a wokeness then. I mean, I remember all the sort of diversity propaganda stuff in military bases in combat zones where people were fighting and dying every day. Like, got to remind everybody diversity is our strength. And I'm told that it's worse now. And that's what I want to ask you, that that people are saying, no, it really has crossed the line. The same way the campuses now shouldn't get anyone's like alumni dollars and people need to really rethink that. Uh, You know, a lot of campuses, the military has crossed the woke Rubicon is what I'm hearing secondhand from people. I want to know what you're hearing. Well, yeah, yeah. And I I still have a lot of friends in the SEAL team community. Uh, lots of friends in the infantry or special operations community in the military, uh, special forces guys. Uh, these guys are affected by the sort of woke culture less because they're on t- in tip of the spear type units. But I will tell you, man, like almost every commander and you and I have talked about this generals and senior leaders in the senior military for for a long time. And I don't know why tend to be center left. But now uh, they seem to be full-fledged, many of them seem to be full-fledged leftists and uh, woke progressives, right? Um, And many of these guys and and gals that I'm talking to that are still in are just like, I'm keeping my head down and I'm retiring after 20. Or when I can get out, believe me, I will. Because uh, it doesn't feel like... And, and this is what I've heard, a common theme of what I've heard from many different people in many different branches, is that the military is not focused on the threats that we face globally, but but diversity and inclusion. I'm not saying that that's not important, right? Every You want everybody in your unit to feel like a valuable part of that fighting force, right? Uh, but that's not to say that standards must be met. PT scores have to be passed. You have to meet a certain level of physical fitness to remain in units. I'm not saying, all I'm telling you here, Buck, is that many people in the military 
feel like standards are eroding and the military is not focused on the right thing. And what you're seeing here on social media from these senior military leaders, and I certainly do use that term loosely, is you're seeing their focus in the wrong place. Right. I mean, how, how do we get to a point, though, uh, Sean? And we're speaking to my friend Sean Parnell. You all should check out his book. He's a former Army Ranger. His book, One True Patriot, is out now. His latest thriller, Sean's got a bunch of bestsellers. Uh, Sean, I I want to know, what is it that has changed that now it feels like there are four-star generals, and, and not just like in the Air Force, I mean, not to be that guy, but, you know, there are four-star generals in, in the Army, in the Marines, uh, who... Looks like they would spell women with a Y. You know what I mean? Or they would say Latin X. What the yes. heck is going on? Yeah. Well, well, I think this is this is a, a this is a complicated question. But you know, the people that get promoted are always not the best people for that job. And a meritocracy in the military lends itself to people who are not in combat positions, sort of uh, puffing up their resume. And reporting higher that everything's perfect in the hopes that they might get promoted, right? And those people that spend their time on the base or maybe never even deploying in the first place here stateside and are focused on all the wrong things end up getting those promotions where guys that are out there in the field getting shot at every day say this isn't worth it uh, and they get out. So over time, you have the people that were in the in the rear with the gear getting the promotions and the people who actually saw war up close and personal get out right and that's why i think you know the major criticism of some of the senior leaders in the pentagon and, and Rand paul just said something about this the other day you know pentagon leaders focus too much on getting ourselves into these forever wars well i mean generals would be a lot more hesitant to thrust us into conflict if they themselves were in the trenches at some point in their career and saw the horrors of war up close and personal right i think part of the reason why we are in this perpetual cycle of war is only rare in the, on the rarest of occasions, the real and true combat leaders make general, like the days of Patton, the patents of the world becoming general are over. If you're a general in today's day and age, you are a politician first and foremost, and therefore beholden to this woke culture out of fear of being canceled, right? Like Patton wouldn't exist in the military today. He'd be fired or not promoted or canceled, you know? So what we're left are what we're left with are generals who play the game. Right. And that is not good for We the we want warriors, Sean, like you. We don't want social justice warriors running these yeah. things. But, so Sean are we ready for a war with China if it comes? I mean, based on the woke stuff we're seeing, the attacking of Tucker Carlson by people in uniform from official military accounts for voicing his opinion, uh, a lot of people are saying we're not being serious about what the future threats are. We're, we're stuck in this wokeness mania. What do you see happening? I think that we are not ready for a war with China. China is the greatest military threat I would say that this nation has ever faced. Now, you know, Nazi Germany and the Japanese at the height of World War II were formidable. But China's economy over the next decade is on the brink of overtaking ours, and their military is already bigger, right? They have the largest naval force in the world. You dominate the seas, there's a case to be made for you dominating the globe. And indeed, that is what China's goal is. And so while they are focused on being the number one global superpower deposing the United States, 
you know, we're fo- we're focused on woke nonsense, right? And and it's funny because even someone like uh, Bill Maher is talking about this because it's a real threat. And so the answer is absolutely not. And even even the U.S. military's own war games continually have them have us losing to China because we we are not ready to fight a, a, a conventional war. We're just not, right? We and, and that that's primarily because we've been entrenched in counterinsurgency in the Middle East for a long time, and China's more of a conventional threat. So there has to be a migration that takes place from a, a force that's capable of waging, you know, asymmetric uh, war uh, in a counterinsurgency environment to a force that can fight conventionally. And but that the focus needs to be on that. That, that is a multi-year process that requires millions of dollars and, and training to sort of shift the focus of the force. And that is not happening. You want to know how I know it's not happening? Because you have somebody out there, Command Sergeant Major Ben Lemon, and I'm, I'm saying his name because he's out there on Twitter from an official account saying that, you know, Tucker, you would you don't know. Trust me, you'd know if the DOD attacked you. What the hell is that? That is unprofessional. And, and by the way, if any of his soldiers did that, he's setting a very poor example for them, Buck, because if any of his soldiers did that, you know that they would face UCMJ action in 24 hours after posting something like that on social media. So not only is, is, is it a dangerous precedent, unprecedented really in our, in our nation's 240-plus-year military history, um, but it sets a horrible example for our troops, and we're not focused on the right thing because China is – is is beating us right now and and we better start focusing on it and i have to say the the willingness that the, that the left has to pretend that there are are no gender differences in sports it feels like that has largely now translated into the military and yeah. as you say mm-hmm. as you told me many times sean you know women women are are a valued and, and essential part of the united states armed forces that said when there were uh, when they when they set up uh, what was it the the testing I believe it was DoD a few years ago they tested a essentially females trying to go through what Marines go through and yes. their combat readiness and standards versus a a comparable male unit I mean and it was just it, it, there was a, there were enormous obvious differences in you know running times weight carried injury everything everything. I mean, basically, yeah. the the women after being put through the training weren't at a combat uh, combat readiness or combat effectiveness status. So, yeah, yeah, why are we are we not allowed to talk about this? I mean, because people look at this, they say, if we don't deal with this now, the way we find this out the hard way is we put out we you know, women into frontline combatant positions, and they underperform and people die. Yeah, well, I mean, we've already got women in those positions, and 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 my my thoughts on this are. are you know, in an all volunteer force, I, I personally believe, hey, you know, if you're if if you're a, a woman and you want to volunteer for the infantry, fine. You should have that opportunity. Like I've got a daughter. I want her to serve. If she wants to serve, I want her to be able to serve in the way that she wants. We're an all volunteer force. Uh, but at the same time, if you volunteer for the infantry, one standard has to be met. Right. Because that's, you know, in in garrison and that's a physical training standard. Right. That standard has to be maintained, whether you're a male or a a female. And if you're a woman that can maintain that standard, believe me, I've met some women in the military that can outrun me. (laughs) I've met some women in the military that could probably outrun me. And if they can continue to continue to meet those standards, fine, they can be they can be in the fine, fine. Um, But the most important thing is they have to be able to meet the standard. And I think what you saw this last week 
is, and this is what everybody's fear was about integrating uh, uh, multi-gendered units, especially combat units on the front line, is that the standard would not be maintained. And what you saw was the gender neutral PT test. 65% of women failed uh, the gender neutral PT test when administered. And our woke military leaders said, well, we have to reevaluate the, the standards and make them more fair for women. And so that everyone's worst fears seem to be being realized. Right. In more, that more fair for women in one, this case means lowering the standards. They, they can yes. try to adjust the language. It the means lowering the standards. standards. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. Everyone was afraid that putting women in combat roles and frontline leadership uh, in frontline positions, the standard would be compromised to accommodate. And that looks like it's what's happening right now. Sean, I worry about this, man. We only got about a minute, but just the, the usage of our troops as props in D.C. with this whole QAnon coup threat that doesn't really exist. Just give us give us your 30 yeah. seconds of, of what you see is going on here. Well, I'll tell you, we got 2,500 troops in Afghanistan getting shot at every day, right? We got 5,000 troops in D.C. Where do you think, just by making those two comparisons between Afghanistan and D.C., where do you think the focus of our military leaders is? Is it the external threats that our country faces on a day-to-day basis, like threats that maybe we face in Afghanistan and definitely the threat we face from China? Or is it in, like, suburban Virginia in the wrong place? Yeah, it's domestic. It's wrong. Those troops need to be sent home. uh, And our capital needs to be reopened. Sean Parnell, everybody, One True Patriot is the book. Former Army Ranger, great novels. And also, if you haven't read Outlaw Platoon, I'm a big fan. Sean, thanks so much, man. Appreciate you joining. Thanks, Buck.